Term limits are everywhere. Hi, I'm Philip Blumel, President of U.S. Term Limits. Welcome to the No Uncertain Terms podcast for the week of October 29th, 2018. Your sanctuary from partisan politics. We find term limits all over our nation, from the president, 35 governors and or cabinets, nine of our 10 biggest cities, 15 legislatures, and a zillion counties and cities. But that's not what we're talking about here. Term limits are also everywhere in the sense that career politicians and entrenched power are everywhere, and they naturally affect, in one way or another, nearly every political issue that pushes its way to the top of our news feeds. Institutional arrangements like this may seem academic and dull when examined directly or abstractly, but they affect real-world outcomes. Let's get some insights on some of this week's news feed issues with U.S. Tournament's director, Nick Tombalides. Hey, Nick. Phil, great to be back with you. So here's what I'm thinking with this idea. I pulled out the newspaper the other day and was looking at the front page, and there's a handful of political articles. And the truth is, since all politics involve power and politicians acting in their own interests, basically there's a term limits tie-in to just about anything that comes up in the news that's political. So I was sort of playing a little game with myself and and looking down the page, and sure enough, without exception, I could find some connection to the kind of issues that animate us at U.S. term limits embedded in each of these articles, even though none of them even mention the words term limits. Well, let me try to stump you then, because I'm looking at a newspaper (laughs) right now, and uh, there's a photo of several hundred people in this caravan heading from Honduras to the southern border. What's up with that? What, what What does that have to do with term limits? Well, again, it doesn't directly, but um, I think it's the issue of immigration is probably outside the scope of what we worry about here at U.S. term limits, but there's politics at the core of this. It began as a political project in Honduras, and it's basically a battle between the Libre Party and other elements in um, Honduran society and the ruling uh, government of Honduras, which is seen as a pro-U.S. government. The Libre Party was the creation of former president of Honduras, uh, President Zelaya, who actually tried to overturn the presidential term limit in the Constitution of Honduras. That actually rings a bell. Wasn't he the guy uh, that the military threw him out of office when he was in his pajamas? That's right. (laughs) That's right. That's right. That's him. I kind of like that. Can we do that with Congress? (laughs) <laughs> We're working on it. Um, right, exactly. He um, felt constrained by the one six-year term limit, and he wanted to have a national referendum to change the Constitution, to uh, change that and other provisions in the Constitution. Now, there's no provision in the Constitution for a national referendum. And in fact, the Constitution says that the term limit is one part of the Constitution that could not be amended. And yet he insisted on having this referendum And his army chief, who instructed to um, organize this national referendum, he refused to do it, and President Zelaya fired him. This case went to the Supreme Court of Honduras, and the Honduran Supreme Court told Zelaya that you cannot have this referendum. In fact, you must rehire the army chief, and he refused. Well, it wasn't uh, too long later that in the early morning hours, his house was surrounded by soldiers, and yeah, he was in his pajamas. 
I remember that. And um, I remember everyone was pretty much against him, not just Supreme Court, but Congress of Honduras, his own Honduras, his own party, the Catholic Church was against him because they all fundamentally understood that the minute one person was allowed to consolidate power and totally take over Honduras, that was the end of representation for the citizens. And that's how we've seen it all over the world, actually, especially in that part of the world, because Hugo Chavez was such a looming figure there for so many years. And I think Zelaya was actually a pawn of Hugo Chavez. Back when Zelaya was getting overturned, there were questions about whether the U.S. would sanction Honduras. And people were saying in Honduras, we'd rather have a year of sanctions than 20 years of Chavez, because Zelaya was under Chavez's thumb. And Chavez had also run roughshod over term limits in Venezuela, which had allowed him to turn that country into a disaster. So you're right. You, you don't see it. It's not apparently uh, very obvious when you look at the news, but there is some kind of term limits tie-in in these stories for sure. Mm-hmm. Hello, this is Scott Tillman, the National Field Director with U.S. Term Limits. Every election cycle, we ask congressional candidates to sign a pledge to support congressional term limits. The pledge reads, I pledge that as a member of Congress, I will co-sponsor and vote for the U.S. Term Limits Amendment of three House terms and two Senate terms and no longer limit. This cycle, we've had a record number of pledge signers. 376 candidates signed the U.S. Term Limits Congressional Pledge this cycle. Of those 376, 133 will be appearing on the ballot come November 6th. Well, I have a challenge for you then. How about this story about Khashoggi? The journalist for, I think, what was it, the Washington Post, who was apparently murdered in the Saudi Arabian embassy in Turkey. So he entered the consulate on October 2nd. His wife was outside. I think he had to get a marriage license or something. And then he never came out. First, the Saudis put out a press release saying that he did come out. Then they later retracted that, changed their story, and said that he died in some kind of fight inside the consulate. Right. It turns out we believe that he was dismembered inside the consulate. And ask yourself, is it just a coincidence that a journalist like this had been probably the most prominent critic of the crown prince of Saudi Arabia? This guy right. was, was for women's rights. He said women should have the same rights as men. He should Women should speak their minds. They should have a free press, democracy, separation of church and state, all things that are not very popular inside Saudi Arabia. And so for anyone with even an ounce of common sense, it's obvious this guy was murdered by the Saudi government, right? Right, right. I mean, what's so hard to understand about that? And yet for members of Congress, for politicians in Washington, it's not that easy to understand. And the reason why is because they have a dependence on Saudi Arabia. We import, what, a billion barrels of oil a day from Saudi Arabia. We sell them fighter jets, missiles, and equipment uh, to these people. And so we have a dependency on them that doesn't allow our politicians to be objective when it comes to the evil that is coming out of that country. And so I did a, I did a little bit— Special interest politics. Yeah, it's typical special mm-hmm. interest politics. I did a little bit of research on this story, and here's what I learned. In the first okay. decade of the 21st century— Saudi Arabia spent $100 million on lobbyists in Washington, D.C. Wow. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? amazing? It is. Astounding. Well, you know, what's interesting is that Saudi Arabia is one of the few countries that doesn't get direct 
uh, foreign aid from the United States, but apparently they give a lot of foreign aid to us, or at least one segment of our population, <laughs> lobbyists. Right. <laughs> and since in the last three years alone, the Saudis have spent $18 million on 145 registered lobbyists in the U.S. So it, it's a Incredible. dirty, dirty swamp. We know if you're not paying, you're not playing. Some of the lobbyists they hired were household names to people who follow politics. John Podesta, who's been an instrumental figure in a lot of uh, Democratic campaigns, and Norm Coleman, who was a former Republican senator from Minnesota. Those guys are both very, very closely tied into the swamp. So when you see a lot of senators grandstanding and saying, oh, this is horrible, we need to crack down on Saudi Arabia, ask yourself, what are they really doing? Why do the senators lack the guts to stop these arms sales? I think it's because they're owned by lobbyists and special interests. Saudi Arabia has been able to manipulate that system. And these politicians are more worried about losing their jobs than they are about doing the right thing. Very good. That was good, good work on that one, Nick. Another thing that jumps out to me about the Khashoggi affair is that this kind of behavior by governments, this extreme kind of behavior is, of course, more likely to be found in countries that are dictatorial rather than those that are democratic. And they're more likely to be found in more oligarchical democracies than healthy democracies with a lot of turnover. One evidence I threw out for this is, this was brought to my attention by Paul Jacob, who writes the column uh, Common Sense. According to a new, uh, the new rankings from the Freedom House on how free countries are around the world, most of the Arab nations are listed as not free, and most of them don't have any uh, turnover in their, their governments, no electoral turnover. And one of the areas that's actually improving somewhat is Latin America, and the Freedom House attributes turnover to that, in that the countries that have newly elected governments tend to be more liberal or at least more effectively liberalizing than those that have had long-standing governments that have, in a lot of cases, overturned their term limits, which is a phenomenon of the last decade. This is a public service announcement with guitar. Politicians have learned from bitter experience that if voters are asked to approve term limits, they will. They've also learned that if they ask voters to weaken or abolish term limits, they won't, at least if you ask them honestly. Sadly, politicians have also figured out that if you can craft a ballot measure that weakens or abolishes term limits, but sounds like it would establish or strengthen term limits, voters will often say yes, unless there is an organized effort to bring the scam to light in time. One such term limit scam is underway right now in Memphis, where one election reform measure of three on the ballot in November will ask voters this question, quote, Shall the charter of the city of Memphis, Tennessee, be amended to provide that no person shall be eligible to hold or be elected to the office of mayor or Memphis City Council if any such person has served at any time more than three consecutive four-year terms? Close quote. Huh. Term limits. Sounds good. But what this doesn't say is that Memphis already has two-term, eight-year limits, and that this ballot measure actually weakens the existing term limits law. Fortunately, there is an effort to alert voters, but there isn't much time. Actress Jennifer Lawrence, known for her role in The Hunger Games and other popular films, is helping out and recorded this 30-second spot, telling citizens to vote no. Hi, I'm Jennifer Lawrence. Memphis, you're about to get blindsided by your own government. Surprised? You shouldn't be. 
Ten years ago, voters approved laws that give the people more power over elections, hold politicians accountable, and create term limits. Politicians are sneakily trying to reverse those laws, so they put dishonest questions at the bottom of Memphis ballots. We should protect our elections by saying no to all of the questions. Tell the politicians they work for us. Hey. Hey, you. Listening to this podcast. Yeah, you. I'm talking to you. I'm going to assume you came here because you support term limits. I'm also going to assume you're tired of our politicians acting out of self-interest and not doing what's best for the people they represent. How bad do you want term limits? Last episode, Phil and Nick brought up Term Limits Day, a national term limits day. What do you think about that idea? We at U.S. Term Limits love it, but what we need is for you, yes you, sitting over there listening to this podcast, to provide your input and get involved. You see, we have many important tools in our arsenal to pull this off. However, none of them are as important as you. We can't do this without help from our supporters. So let me know. If we had a national day of action, what would you like to see done? Do you think we should march on D.C.? Would you commit to joining us there? Will you help coordinate or attend a term limits capital day in your state? How about getting a group of five friends and meeting with your state lawmaker for half an hour or so to tell them how important term limits are to you. Or do you want to do something more creative? This week, a group projected a billboard made of light on the Capitol in Portland. Or perhaps you can come up with something as viral and as clever as the ice bucket challenge. We really want to hear from you. Email me at nut, N-U-T, at termlimits.com. Give me your ideas. Tell me how you'd like to contribute and how you want to participate. Tell me what date you'd like to pick and why. Will you be a founder of National Term Limits Day? Go to termlimits.com slash termlimitsday for more information. The big questions are, National Term Limits Day, a good idea or not? What simple and repeatable activities do you want to see and would you participate in? And three, what day should we pick? Thank you so much for your input, and I look forward to celebrating National Term Limits Day with you. Another trick that a lot of these foreign countries and entities use to influence uh, America's career politicians is the concept of the uh, princelings. I don't know if you've read Peter Schweizer's latest book, Secret Empires. I definitely would. He exposes a lot on how this works. But foreign foreign countries are effectively able to legally hire friends and family members of American politicians in order to wield influence on Capitol Hill. Um, China, Ukraine, Saudi Arabia, and others have wielded this power masterfully. Uh, and if you, were to, if you were to hire the wife of a congressman, for example, that would be illegal. But if you hire their, their son or their brother-in-law, that is perfectly legal. It's not a violation of the Foreign Corrupt Practices Act. So foreign countries have been able to circumvent the anti-corruption laws of this country to influence our politicians, and it really begs the question of whether our politicians are loyal to the people alone, as James Madison said they should be, or whether they're totally, wholly bought and paid for by the people keeping them in office. I think most people listening to this podcast probably have a a good idea of what's really going on. Excellent point. Another front page issue from the last week was this explosion in our deficit. 
and also nationally our national debt, um, which again, there's a tie-in with term limits, with politicians acting in their own interest instead of those of the public. What's the deficit? What's the number? Well, it soared to $779 billion and is uh, projected to approach $1 trillion in 2019. Now, that's the federal deficit. The national debt is about $21 trillion and counting. So looking at, looking at that deficit mathematically, um, just so our listeners can understand the sheer size of it, if you were to spend $1 million every day since Jesus was born, you would not have spent that deficit yet. You would have spent only $700 wow. billion. It, it, That is an wow. astronomically high deficit, and it threatens um, this country's solvency. I, it, I think it also threatens our country's national security. Um, there have been a lot of national security experts who've said that the debt and deficits are the number one threat to our security because they make us less sovereign, and they create a risk of a fiscal crisis collapse. So, I mean... I'm taking that right. very, very seriously, and absolutely, obviously, it's something that we have to lay at the doorstep of uh, members of Congress who have the absolutely. authority over this. It is an incredible lack of responsibility. Um, I'll tell you what's not a lack of. It's not a lack of political experience because we've got that in Washington D.C. Decades of it under a lot of these guys' belts that make these decisions, and they are in the pocket of special interests that want them to continue spending, and simultaneously want them to continue cutting taxes. And it just doesn't add up. We're getting um, deeper and deeper in debt. It's a nasty, nasty side effect of uh, unchecked political opportunism. Because um, if you're faced with a choice between doing the right thing, be it something that might be unpopular, like cutting spending, for instance, if you're faced with the choice of doing that versus protecting your own political career, because you can stay in Washington forever and you can build up all this power, Nine times out of ten, member of Congress is going to take their own career over doing what's right. There are lots of different kinds of experience. The nation benefits when citizens run for Congress and new legislators bring with them a wide breadth of ideas and experience from their professional careers as business or professional people, doctors, teachers, investment professionals, farmers, even state municipal politicians. Long-term congressional incumbents who have years ago lost touch with real-world concerns and responsibilities often disparage this broad conception of experience and claim that term limits would, oddly, produce a politically inexperienced Congress. But as this 60 Minutes expose from 2016 demonstrates, much of the political experience that anti-term limits incumbents tout has nothing to do with serving you and everything to do with serving their party and themselves. Republican David Jolly won a special election to Congress in March 2014. Facing a re-election bid that November, he was happy to get a lesson in fundraising from a member of his party's leadership. But he was surprised by what he learned. We sat behind closed doors at one of the party headquarter back rooms in front of a whiteboard where the equation was drawn out. You have six months until the election. Break that down to having to raise $2 million in the next six months, and your job new member of Congress, is to raise $18,000 a day. Your first responsibility is to make sure you hit $18,000 a day. Your first responsibility responsibility as a congressman. As a sitting member of Congress. How are you supposed to raise $18,000 a day? 
Simply by calling people, cold calling a list that fundraisers put in front of you. You're presented with their biography, so please call John. He's married to Sally. His daughter Emma just graduated from high school. They gave $18,000 last year to different candidates. They can give you $1,000 too if you ask them to. And they put you on the phone, and it's a script. There are actually scripts for calls. And we got our hands on one distributed by the National Republican Congressional Committee to help GOP members invite donors to attend their annual fundraising dinner in March. The House schedule is actually arranged in some ways around fundraising. You're telling me the whole schedule of how work gets done is scheduled around fundraising? That's right. You never see a committee working through lunch because those are your fundraising times. And then in between afternoon votes and evening votes, that's when you can see Democrats walking down this street, Republicans walking down that street, to spend time on the phone making phone calls. By law, members of Congress cannot make fundraising calls from their offices. So both parties have set up call centers just a few blocks away. This is where the Republicans have theirs. So can I go in there? I don't think they would let either one of us in here at this point. Remember, I stopped paying my dues. What Jolly so means is that in addition to raising money for their own campaigns, members are supposed to raise thousands of dollars for their parties. That's their dues. If Republican members don't pay up, they can't use the party's call suites. No photos exist of the inside of either the Democratic or Republican centers. But with the help of a staffer, we were able to get into the Republican Center with a hidden camera. About a dozen tiny offices equipped with a phone and computer line a corridor. This is where members of Congress sit behind closed doors and plow through lists of donors, dialing for dollars. Outside in the main hallway is a big board where the amount each member has raised for the party is posted for all to see and compare. It is a cult-like boiler room on Capitol Hill where sitting members of Congress, frankly, I believe, are compromising the dignity of the office they hold by sitting in these sweatshop phone booths calling people, asking them for money. And their only goal is to get $500 or $1,000 or $2,000 out of the person on the other end of the line. It's shameful. All right. Well, I don't want to uh, go this week until we finish up with the story of Jim Coxworth. Um, as you recall, he's the gentleman that was walking from suburban Chicago to bring attention to the idea of term limits and also ending gerrymandering in that state. It was a successful walk. He reports that he finished up at the Capitol on the 23rd where he held a press conference in the Blue Room. And um, he said that along the road, he didn't run into a single person that did not agree that Illinois needs term limits. Not one. I think Coxworth is having some influence because there was a story in the Chicago Tribune today that Bill Daly, the brother of Richard Daly and the son of Richard Daly Sr., who had collectively run the city of Chicago for 43 years, well, he's announced that he now supports a term limit for the mayor of Chicago. So, no kidding. So term limits are gaining traction in Illinois, and I, I really am grateful to Jim. I think he's been a big part of that. The issues surrounding term limits are everywhere, but the policy of term limits is not, yet. We have a lot of work to do. One important step is to learn the issue and join the growing network of citizens who are taking concerted action to impose term limits on Washington, D.C. and elsewhere. Subscribing to this podcast is, for many, the first step. Share it with your friends and family, and subscribe. 
You can do this via the podcast app on your iPhone, or you can use Stitcher or Google Play on your Android device. Or go to iTunes, and while you're there, rate and review us. Until next week, happy Term Limits Day, whenever that might be. From, from suburban Chicago to Springfield, from suburban Chicago to Springfield, Springfield, to Springfield, from suburban Chicago to Springfield.